So let's look at a reading from Isaiah chapter 43, just a few verses. This is one of the passages which God is reflecting back on the past when the exodus took place. But God says, I'm going to do a new thing now. And he's talking about what will happen when they have returned from exile. So here we go. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, that was the exodus, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there, never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Those were the Egyptians that had been chasing um, the Israelites. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honour me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the desert and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen. The people I form for myself that they may proclaim my praise. Yet you have not called upon me, O Jacob. You have not wearied yourselves for me, O Israel. So what I'd like us to think about this morning is some of the new things that God has done during my lifetime. Now, these are my opinion, of course, but I think I've got my eye on the ball. And what I'd like us to do, as I just go through, I'm going to mention four things. You might want to say, well, as a church, yeah, I think we've embraced that new thing that God has done. Or you may want to mark yourself out of ten. We haven't really embraced it as wholeheartedly as we should have done. So I'm going to work backwards from where we are now, but back to the last 50 years or so. So how are we doing? Yeah. God does a new thing. So here's the first thing. The presence of God. My sense is that Christian churches have become more desirous of wanting to experience the presence of God in their lives generally, but also in their worship. When I went to church, first of all, we had what we called the hymn sandwich. You will have grown up on the hymn sandwich. Hymn, prayer, hymn, reading, hymn, prayers, hymn, sermon, and hymn to finish. That's good. That's fine. But in some ways... All that you did before the sermon was thought by some people to be the preamble. So you got to the meat of the sermon. Now, teaching has got to go on being very important. I don't want to minimise the importance of teaching God's word to us. But what has become more important in the last 20 years or so is that Christians have enjoyed the presence of God. They've been fed, they've been nourished by the presence of God. And often God speaks to them in his presence in a different way that he speaks to them 
when they hear his word. And this isn't only about new songs. It's more about deepening our relationship with the Lord. I mentioned that I was an evangelist when I was a very young man. And we used to go to a particular place for 10 days or 17 days. And you'd do young people's work, you'd do children's work, and you'd go into factories, you'd do lots and lots of different things where invitations came. And I remember one evening when in the coffee bar, we used to have coffee bars in those days and young people used to come, and in the coffee bar we had a number of skinhead girls. Not skinhead boys, but skinhead girls. And chatting to these girls, I was thinking to myself, how are these girls ever going to relate to church? And particularly the worship of the church. Because at that time you sang hymns ancient and modern, or more ancient and modern. Nothing wrong with older hymns. We're going to end the service with an older hymn today. But there's been a revolution taking place since then. New songs have burst up and continue to do so. And there's been a whole new, different way that we can relate to God with newer music. Some people don't like the newer music. You've got to ask yourself, where is all this coming from? And where's the inspiration for some of these things? I used to find that when I was a pastor, we might have a baptismal service or a dedication, and you'd get a lot of family and friends, a lot of whom were never in church. And a number of them used to say to me at the end of the service, love the singing this morning. They didn't know the songs, but they related to them. A lot of people these days, they don't even know the older hymns let alone all the new music. God is pouring out his presence, particularly when we come together in a united way. And there's great nourishment to our inner spirits through it. What's the presence of God like? Well, it's powerful. I love the story about Jesus when he's talking to a group of people number of people who are against him, lots of Pharisees in the congregation. And the verse says, but the power of the Lord was present to heal people. God's presence is powerful. I've seen people when you simply just pray for them and the presence of the Lord comes nearer to them. They might start crying or they might just sense God's peace in a deeper way. God's presence is very powerful. And God's presence is glorious. It's a glorious presence. It's full of glory. There's an expression in the New Testament which speaks about the weight of God's glory. The weight of it. It doesn't mean that when the weight of God's glory is resting upon us, you know, it's too heavy for us. It just means there is a weight, a presence in his glory. God's presence is powerful and it's glorious. But it's a third thing as well. It's revelatory. Let me explain what I mean by that. You know, sometimes when you are together 
and we are sensing the presence of the Lord with us, there might be an anointing of the Holy Spirit upon the church, people start to see and hear things. They might see a picture that God has given to them. Or they might just get a sentence in their mind which they think is for them or they might need to share it with somebody else. That's what God's presence does. It brings a revelation for us and we see more of the Lord. That's the first thing. I think that's the most up-to-date thing that's happening in our churches. There's an intensifying of the presence of God for those that will seek after God. Of course, a church can be deathly, can't it? It's what's in our hearts and we bring to him. Then number two, community involvement. Until about 30 years ago, maybe 40 years, the church in this country, a lot of them, were in survival mode. As long as we can keep the numbers that we've got and keep the doors open, then that's not so bad. There might have been a lot of internal things happening, like Bible studies and fellowship groups. But there was a big gulf between the church and the world, and it was growing wider. That's not true today. There's been a whole new surge and more confidence in looking beyond the church walls. You've just been praying for, what was it, lunch something? Make lunch. And it's having lunch for children that uh, don't have so, uh, have free, free meals, I think, at school and things like that. Great. That's just a, a way of wanting to connect with community. When I first went to Purley, they'd been buying up a lot of property because they were going to do a huge redevelopment. It lasted all the time I was there, and eventually when I left, it was granted. It's a huge development. It's millions and millions of pounds. But the local MP didn't like it, and Sajid Javid called it in. Much to the disgust of Croydon Council, who we've worked at this for years and years. They called it in, and it's still under investigation, and they're going to report now on September the 13th. They were going to report in February, then they were going to report in May, get past the elections, and then it was going to be August the 10th, and now it's September the 13th. I don't know what they're trying to hide at the moment on this one. But we'd bought this property up, but we weren't using it. And when I arrived at the church, they said, you know, when we build the church, we're going to start inviting people in. And I said, there's no point doing it that, in there, at that point. If they're not coming before we build the new building, they're not going to come afterwards, necessarily. You'll get a few people that come afterwards. But uh, we've got to be doing things that connect. And so there was uh, one building that we had that was an old... Am I, am I losing power here? Um, it was an old shop. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yes, OK. And so we wondered what to do with it. And so we investigated and discovered that in North Croydon there was an information centre, but in South Croydon, which is richer, there was no information centre. And so we said, well, let's open this information, we'll make it an information centre. Got some help, Croydon Council gave us £10,000, needed more than that, but they gave us ten. put this shop together. We knew nothing about information, actually. 
but we gradually learnt more and more and more. And I can tell you that our credibility as a church went up so much because we were serving the community. Somebody would come in, they'd ask a question, we'd find the answer for them, and uh, they'd go out very happy. Sometimes we'd print something out for them that they could take away. Still a very good work there today. It's called the Pearly Cross Centre. We've connected with community in ways that have been very different in the last 20 years or so. But what's important is this. We need words as well as deeds. You see, we care for people and love them. Got to keep doing that. But if without any words, they just think we're nice people. It's the words that people help, help them know that we're doing it for him. And that he can help them. And there's a good news for them. There's got to be words as well as action. I don't mean we club with people. But what I mean is we stand for what we believe in alongside our deeds. Now imagine this church here is doing different things, like a number of churches. Just thinking about the church that I belong to at the moment, we do street pastors and alpha and toddlers, like a lot of churches do. We open the church on a Monday morning, which is just come in, have a cup of coffee, for anybody, somebody to talk to. We also have something on a Tuesday evening, which relates to people who don't know English very well, and we teach them the English language. One of the people in our church is a psychologist and uh, he had another friend who was a psychologist who was a Christian and he had another friend who was a Hindu who was a psychologist and the Hindu was uh, asked to do, not to push her Hinduism uh, but so on once a month, on a Thursday morning anybody can walk into our church and they can find somebody to listen to them. What's good about this is that the psychologist can have access to the doctors and therefore they can have a bit more weight if a connection needs to be made in that way. It's called walk-in well-being. It's for people that uh, have uh, emotional and mental difficulties. Good work. I prayed with somebody on a, a Friday morning every fortnight and he said to me a few months ago, I think I want to start a work in our, one of the pubs. What are you going to do then, Barry? So he said, what I think we'll do is, three or four of us, we'll go into the pub, we'll open our Bibles, and we'll just look at a Bible story, we'll read it through aloud, and then we'll just share what it means to us. And so they've done that for several months now, and uh, Barry feels that he wants to make this uh, more open to the whole church, and that they might find ways of bringing this sort of truth in an environment which is outside the church. So what's important is that God speaks to people. He spoke to Barry. And he said to Barry, I think you ought to do that. Now Barry can just forget about it or he can do something with it. He can bring it to the pastor. The pastor can say, well, yes, why don't you try that? We've got far more involved in the community because God doesn't like the gulfs. He loves people. He loves people far more than we love them. 
but he wants his church to connect. It's one of the newer things that he has done. And then a third one. I'm calling this kingdom-minded rather than just church-minded. I imagine you know what I mean. It means that we have a picture of God building his kingdom rather than only God building the church that I belong to. What used to happen when I was a lad, I was a Methodist in those days, and if Methodists moved house to another part of the country, they'd try and find the Methodist church. Or if they were a Baptist, they might try and find the Baptist church. And they might settle there, because that's where their experience was. That doesn't happen these days. The denominational hold is not as strong. It may be for some of us still. We might first of all try a congregation or church, but then we might just look around for the church that is going to most meet my spiritual needs and where I can serve. Now this is good. That breakdown of denominationalism is a good thing because it helps us to be more kingdom-minded. What happens when you become more kingdom-minded? Well, I think three things happen in particular. We become far more concerned about the unity of God's people. Right across the board. We understand that God doesn't just want unity in a local church, which he does, but he also wants unity across churches as well. We need to pray for what's happening in other churches and not just our own. I was put in charge of prayer in the church that I belong to. And so one of the things I did was to go and speak to the pastor or the vicar of some of the churches in Saffron Walden. I took my video camera with me and then I just asked them some questions about themselves, their hobbies, and things we could pray for in their church. And then when we got to the prayer meeting, I would just play that part of the video so that people would gain an insight into that other church. So we could pray for them. There's one church, actually, that's had some difficulties in Saffron Waldham, and a few people have come to our church from that church. And we are especially conscious in our church to pray for that church. We might say, oh good, you know, our congregation's increased now. Well, that's true. We need to pray for God's church because he's interested in unity. Another thing that goes alongside this is competitiveness. We used to be far more competitive. If our church is doing well, it doesn't matter too much about other churches. It does. That competitive spirit is not good in God's eyes or ears. In Guildford, on our noted head paper, we used to have Guildford Baptist Church, part of the church in Guildford. We wanted to state it, you know, on our letterhead, that we weren't the church, but we were part of the church. Now, actually, Guildford Baptist was a big church. It could do anything it wanted to do, actually. We had hundreds of members. We had plenty of money. We could have invited who we liked. 
That is not the point. We are part of the church. And when we are kingdom-minded, that's really important to us. There aren't many churches in Sawbridgeworth, I don't think. What about your responsibility to them? And then the third thing about being kingdom-minded is to rejoice when something really good happens in another church. You know, when they start to get a lot more members, we rejoice in it. Because the kingdom's expanding. Our church might be going through more of a difficult time. So we need to be prayerful and sort those things out. But God's church is being blessed in one place or another. And our heart is to rejoice in it. Probably the church I go to now in Saffron Walden is doing probably better than most. We've doubled in size in the last two years. But we constantly remind ourselves that we're part of God's church. And we pray and bless other churches as much as we can. And we relate and do things with other churches when it's applicable to do so. And let me just check. Anybody listening to me this morning? So what about this church so far? The presence of God. Community involvement and... What's the last one I've just said? Kingdom-minded. Well done. And then finally, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. In the 1960s, the gifts of the Holy Spirit started to emerge in some places, not many. There was an article in the Times newspaper which said, tongues at all souls... One of the curates was speaking in tongues. It became national news. Then into the 70s and then more into the 80s, the gifts of the Spirit have become more prominent in churches. There was a chap called Warfield who wrote a book back in the 19th century and he said that the gifts of the Spirit finished shortly after the formation of the early church. It's called cessationism, which means that the gifts of the Spirit died out in that time because the Word of God had come, and they only needed the Word of God to guide them. Well, not many Christians believe that, fortunately, today. There are still some who don't want anything to do with miracles or prophecy or healing and things like that. But God has restored to his historic churches, as well as all the new churches, the whole idea of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So let me just end with two or three stories and try to sort of package that for us in a way that hopefully you'll understand and have a desire to be more used by the Lord. Some time ago I was asked to go and do an Alpha Day in a North London church. They'd done the Alpha course during the week, but this is what they called the Holy Spirit Day. You know what I'm talking about, I think. And so the pastor asked if I would go and lead the sessions on that day, which I did. And at the end of the third session, um, what I often do is just 
invite some sort of response, and uh, people might respond at that point, and then I might go and pray for one or two people. And so we'd done all of that, we'd had a bit of response, and I, went, I walked across, and there was this lady over here, and I was just standing by her, didn't know anything about her, and as I started to pray for her, I saw a picture in my mind. And the picture in my mind was of a huge dark cloud, a huge dark cloud over this woman. Now what you don't do at that point is say, you know, I can see a huge dark cloud over you, and then walk out of the building. Because that's not going to be very encouraging. But, see, sometimes you've got to stay with the picture. And as I stayed with the picture, I could see that the sun was breaking through this cloud, breaking it open so that there was sunlight coming through it. So at that point, I began to share with the lady of what I could see. And, you know, you add your bits of interpretation to it. You just said, you know, I can see this cloud, but I think the Lord is going to bring you, is bringing you hope in the midst of it. I mean, she might have been on top of the world and thinking, what's this person talking about? But then I was told afterwards that just a few days before this, her husband had been taken into prison. She was really broken up about it. See, the Lord knows us. He knows all about us. He knows us. And that lady then thinks, God does know my situation. He does care for me. Because it gives a little picture to little old Pete here, who imparts it to her. Now, I'm no great shakes. Over the years, I've learned how to do a number of things in the Holy Spirit, and I'm still learning how to do that. But it's always for other people. It's always to bless other people. It's not about how wonderful we are. In Purley, they decided that they wanted to do healing on the streets. And I was a little bit dubious about this. In built-up, more urban areas, I thought, maybe it's okay. But Purley, I couldn't quite see them doing healing on the streets in Purley. But nevertheless, they did the course. Then they had a huge sign, about 12 feet high, healing. Got some chairs by the sign went into one of the main little areas where people shop and then stood there and asked if anybody would like prayer for healing. And lo and behold, people come and sit on the chair and they're prayed for for healing. Now, I wouldn't have rushed to do that because I would have thought, that's not quite the thing you do in Pearly. I get over some of these things. Happens in lots of places up and down the country, sometimes by cathedrals these days, where people prayer is offered for pe- to, to people that would want some healing. It's the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And just one final story. See, God also wants to be at work in our employment through the gifts of the Spirit. We mustn't just locate it in church all the time. So, there were a group of people and they were brainstorming at work because they wanted to try to work out the solution to a particular problem. And they'd been there for an hour or so and they'd gone back and forwards and they weren't getting very far. And then this one chap said three things. 
and shared it with the others. And they all said, that's it. That's great. That's the way forward. And they all went and had a cup of coffee, except this chap and the person who was sitting next to him. And this chap said, how did you do that? He said, you are not intelligent enough to have come up with those answers. And so the chap humbly said, he said, well, you know, I'm a believer. I'll follow Jesus. And he says, I could see we were getting nowhere in this discussion. And so in my head, I just said to the Lord, what's the way forward? And he just gave me three little pictures in my head. And so I just shared what those pictures were about. Now, what he didn't do around the table was to say, Thus saith the Lord. First picture. Of course he didn't. See, we've got to relate to people normally. And God gives us these ideas, and then we package them in a way that will be a blessing to people. You know, somebody said, generally speaking, God is generally speaking. And he's speaking through me at the moment, but he wants to speak through a hundred other ways through your lives, in your situations. So what about the gifts of the Spirit being embraced by Sawbridgeworth Evangelical Congregational Church? The Lord is so good. We're going to use a song which is the Spirit of the Living God, Fall Afresh on Me.